I speak to you today in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, perhaps like some of you, I am a huge fan of satire, um, which is why the following article stuck out to me. It's from the satirical magazine Babylon Bee. You may have heard of it. And the article is entitled, Rookie Move, Christian Prays That God Would Teach Him Patience. The article goes like this. Los Angeles, California. Rookie Christian James Hamberton made the classic mistake of praying God would teach him patience while attending church this Sunday, and now his week is filled with the most irritating little delays and annoyances. <laughs> Hamberton told reporters that he prayed on Sunday, Lord, just grant me patience. I know I'm a bit of a jerk with a short temper sometimes. If you could just, you know, kind of magically give me the patience without any kind of sanctification process whatsoever, that'd be great. Amen. On the way home from church, his wife spilled her iced latte all over the front seat of his truck. He had to wait in a 57-minute-long line at In-N-Out for a burger, and the 405 was absolutely packed with traffic on Monday morning. Finally, when he pulled into the neighborhood Thursday evening, Hamberton got stuck behind some moron who was driving a golf cart five miles per hour on a public street for some reason. Seriously? He cried out in frustration. I didn't ask for this. Well, I kind of did. But this isn't what I meant. I just wanted the fruit of the Spirit handed to me. I didn't want to have to learn it through trials and suffering. The article concludes with saying, at publishing time, Hamperton had come up with the brilliant strategy of praying for impatience so God would put him in lots of situations where things happen really fast and efficiently. That's the end of the article. <laughs> Let me just say, this is not how God works. God doesn't sit back in heaven in a top hat, twisting his mustache, laughingly waiting for us to pray for patience so that he can finally torment us with bad traffic. But I will say that Christianity presupposes, as does the Old Testament book of Ruth, which is what our first reading is from today, it presupposes that God is working in and through all things for his purposes. Scripture holds, in other words, that God is actively and providentially involved in our lives, even if and when it may seem otherwise. And while this satirical story we've heard is humorous, sometimes the stories of our lives are no laughing matter at all. It's Halloween. My son is obsessed now with the word spooky. He's been saying it quite a bit. But what happens when the spooky becomes our reality? When the nightmare is suddenly true? We come today to one of the greatest stories told in the Old Testament, the story of Ruth. And what Ruth shows us is that solidarity in adversity is loyalty rooted ultimately in divinity, in God's covenantal faithfulness. However, in the first chapter, verses 1 through 18, our first reading, we see that most of the speaking and most of the action belongs not to Ruth, but to her mother-in-law, Naomi. The story begins with Naomi and her family and the troubles they face. It tells of her precipitous plunge into desperation. 
When the story comes to a close in chapter 4, Naomi is back in the spotlight. This book may be titled Ruth, but make no mistake, this is a story that is also largely about Naomi. So I want to invite us this morning to enter, if we dare, into Naomi's reality and to sit with her for a moment as her story unfolds. We see in verse 1 that during a famine, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons leave their home in Bethlehem. Ironically, this name Bethlehem means house of bread, but there is no bread. And they eventually become refugees on the east side of the Dead Sea. This happens when over the course of 10 years, Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband, and the sons marry Moabite women. Then both of Naomi's sons die childless. If we know Hebrew, their names would tip us off to their dreaded fate, as Malone and Kilion could just as easily be translated as sicko and wasting away. Seriously, the Hebrew could be translated that way. So from the outset, the narrative clues us in to their spooky end. The household that once consisted of a woman and her three men has now become three childless widows. None of them are blood relatives with one another. So in a society in which fathers and husbands and sons provided security for the family, this household's prospects have declined dangerously. What we have here is every Israelite's nightmare. Despair would probably be the most appropriate word to describe Naomi's reality. She's at the wrong end of nearly every social and cultural spectrum. She's old, she's a widow, she's childless, and she's living as a foreigner in the hostile, despised land of Moab. Barrenness is the whole story. Barrenness of land and barrenness of wombs. And arms. But it is good for us to sit with her. For how many friends have we sat with who have lost what they love? How many of us have been that friend living through our own nightmare? So the question for us is what do we do as Christians when life goes off the rails? How are we to think about our faith when the things or the people we hold most dear are taken from us? How do we dare speak or even dream of faith when our lives are turned into a nightmare? Ruth's response is beautiful, being one of solidarity, loyalty, and devotion. Normally, sermons move along this track, encouraging us, be like Ruth. It would be easy to preach that sermon. I'd quote J.R.R. Tolkien to you. Faithless is he that says farewell when the road darkens. And I'd encourage you to be loyal to your family and your friends and to God, just like Ruth. And we'd go home having heard a nice sermon. But this is not that sermon. This is a sermon for Naomi. This is a sermon for when our lives are barren, for when life has gone off the rails. Naomi's response, contrary to Ruth, is to change her name to Mara, which means bitter. She's despondent. She has lost 
hope. She has lost hope, perhaps even in God. So this is a sermon not about the loyalty of humans like Ruth. This is a sermon about the loyalty of God who redeems Naomi's nightmare. For in Ruth, we see what the Old Testament authors call hesed. God's unashamed, faithful, relationship-restoring, community-keeping love in order to redeem Naomi. But remember, Naomi has lost all hope. She was ready to send Ruth on home. In her despair, in her homelessness, she could not see how God was leading her to a new home. Strangely and ironically, we see in the remainder of this story, if we were to read on, that through Ruth, God reveals that there is no home, no redemption, apart from communal relationships of faithful, selfless, and unrelenting love and mutual care. Some say home is where the heart is, but the story of the book of Ruth is home is where the hesed is. Home is where God's covenantal loyalty to his creation resides. You see, the story of Ruth is like a parable, actually. It holds up a mirror and invites us to identify ourselves with its characters. And what happens is that more often than not, when we look into this mirror, we see Ruth. But if we're honest, often we see Naomi. The message is not today, be like Ruth but to see ourselves as the ones in need of redemption. We long for community. We long for home. Like Naomi, we are at points lost in our existential homelessness, our despair, our loneliness, our apathy, our addictions. And when life has turned into a living nightmare, we think that the only option is to go it alone, to pull up our bootstraps one more time and see what happens. Like Naomi, We'd rather just pull up our tent stakes and say our goodbyes and strike out alone in search of a new home whenever things get rough. Naomi's disappointments lead her to an overwhelming desire to walk away from Ruth, but she must not. And frankly, as we see in the story, Ruth will not let her. Ruth's solidarity and faithfulness is a single sunbeam whose source is found in the burning and blazing light of God's faithfulness. And this is where we see that Ruth is an image of Christ. But lest we jump ahead too quickly, amidst our nightmares, our tragedies, our pains and sorrows, when we leave, when we give up, I wonder and I worry that maybe we're leaving Ruth behind. Could it be that God's redemption is waiting for us in the very relationships we have chosen to abandon? Could it be that God is creating a new home for us to the very people we least expect? Sometimes we cannot see the hope of redemption because we simply cannot imagine that God is still wrapped up intimately in the details of our lives. But the book of Ruth teaches us that God's providence is always ever-present behind the story, weaving together the decisions of the characters of us. Like Naomi, this is at times impossible 
for us to see clearly when we're a character in the story. Naomi thinks God's will is to punish her, but he's actually redeeming her if we track with the story. And this story brilliantly explores the interplay between God's will and purposes and human wills and purposes. For we must not forget the book of Ruth concludes with the genealogy. One that shows that Boaz and Ruth's son Obed was the grandfather of King David through whom will come the hope of Israel of all nations, a Messiah, Jesus Christ. Perhaps you've heard the joke about St. Peter and Frankenstein. They're standing together at the pearly gates. Frankenstein's hoping to make it into heaven when St. Peter says to him, parts of you can go into heaven, but parts of you can't. How do you want to handle this? We are our own Frankensteins, people born of the flesh, as St. Paul reminds us, with lives of mixed motives and actions and experiences, but God wants all of us, all of me, all of you. He wants even our despondent thoughts, our anger, our disappointments, our rage, even our rage at him when life has gone off the rails. You see, discipleship, walking in the way of Christ, touches on all parts of what makes us who we are. And faith is not primarily or exclusively an expression of our trust in Christ when life is going great. Faith is also the utterance of doubt expressed through tears and anger towards a God who seems absent. Faith is as present in the cry of abandonment towards God as it is in the praise of solicitude born from joy. For this, this is the only God who has bound himself to the despair of the human condition in solidarity, who himself said from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If Naomi is an image of us, of me, Ruth is an image of Christ, who will not leave us. And more importantly, like Naomi, he knows the feeling of when the nightmare becomes the reality. And yet his love is stronger still. Even in our turning away, Christ, like Ruth with Naomi, he will not let us go. Clings to us. Perhaps you're in a season of joy and bounty. Thanks be to God for that. But for those of you who aren't, and for those of us who will eventually experience the nightmare becoming our reality, we must not forget that even in the seemingly mundane everyday details, we find the hope of God's purposes to redeem our greatest fears, even if we only see this retrospectively, which is true most of the time. We see this in the book of Ruth, and we see this in life, and when you have this perspective, it makes all the difference. Someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who had seen the nightmare of racism, could say, I have a dream because he knew of God's hesed, God's faithfulness to his people. Someone like Mother Teresa, who endured decades of hidden depression, could give her life away in service to others because she knew of God's hesed of his faithfulness. Someone like you and me can walk the life of faith. 
We can choose solidarity with one another, even and especially when our nightmares become our reality. We don't have to hide from one another in our brokenness. In fact, like Naomi, our redemption is directly tied to embracing our barrenness and turning together towards the author of life. For what Ruth shows us is that solidarity in adversity is loyalty rooted ultimately in divinity and God's covenantal faithfulness. Like Ruth, God will not forsake us. He pledges himself to us. He journeys to a foreign land. He embraces our human condition. He takes Naomi, who is without nourishment, back to the house of bread, to Bethlehem. In moments of crisis, if we run from God and one another, we run from the very source of our nourishment. So in our Naomi moments, instead of running from Ruth, from the reminder of our nightmares, let us run with Ruth, with our barrenness and brokenness, to the hope of our redemption, to Jesus Christ.